And at that time in 79, I mean, this brought him to a whole new audience because I want to be your lover was actually his first pop hit. Um, so did you have friends and family that were kind of, you know, how'd they react to knowing that you were kind of part of this? Uh, they're probably maybe seeing him for the first time on some of those shows and things like that. And what was that like? What was my family's reaction? Friends. I mean, were they impressed? Family. Did they want to know what was going on? And friends. Um, my friends. My friends. The you know, Prince. Prince wasn't part of their thing at the time. I think it took a while before people that were my friends then actually took notice or had any interest. And part of it may have been American Bandstand that really they began to take notice. Um, but many of them would say, so what are you doing these days? And I tell them and they go, who is it? <laughs> uh, my family, the only one that really, really paid attention was my mom. And, um, she actually came down to the Capri Theater to see the concert that we did there, his first show in Minneapolis. And that, that was a good thing. No one else in my family came. Um, my brother was married and starting a family and really didn't, um, they, my sister was married and off somewhere. I think she was in Japan. <laughs> so there wasn't a lot of interest from my family, but my mom was the one who was very supportive and she did come down and she met Prince and, and um, she remembers this more clearly than I do. And she's 92. And she said, yeah, I, came backstage to meet Prince and held out my hand and congratulate him and shake his hand. And he holds out his hand and I put my hand out and he goes like this. And I said, <laughs> and he was just laughing. He was being impish. And she said, that's exactly what it was. He was being impish. And, um, and I thought he was weird. <laughs> And I just said, well, mom, you know, thanks for coming. I'm glad you were there. But she enjoyed the show. That's that was the one place Prince actually let me play something that I wrote on stage. So that was pretty cool, too. Wow. How many shows do you um, estimate that you played with Prince before you left? I have no idea. Was it a, was it a hundred? Was it fifty? Was it twenty? Would you say? I mean, I I don't know. I really don't know. I can't imagine that it was a lot. I mean, we we traveled. I mean, we were all over the the U.S. But because um, we were in Huntsville, Alabama, we were in Jacksonville, Florida, we were in New York, California several places in between, but I don't know. It probably wasn't 20, I don't know. Maybe maybe it was more, I don't know. Were you still there? I'm trying to get the time frame, you know, as accurate as possible. So 
Were you still there when he uh, did that um, tour with Rick James or? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was there and uh, went for the Rick James tour. So what do you remember from that, if anything? <laughs> I remember, um, <clears throat> I remember meeting some of the horn players who are from, from Rick James band who weren't very nice. And um, at least they weren't very nice to me, but Rick was actually very nice to me and invited me to breakfast with his band. And um, I went to breakfast with the band and then he invited me onto his tour bus to take a tour and view the cover of his new album. I did not know that I was not supposed to do any of this. And Prince found out that what I was doing and I guess went into a rage and demanded that I get off the bus, but he sent somebody to tell me to get off the bus. And I um, was sitting there in a booth or at one of those booth tables on Rick James tour bus. And um, Rick is saying, so what do you think of my, my new album cover? Do you think this will fly? And it was this nice picture. Was, I can't even remember what it looked like, but it was nothing offensive. It was it was really cool. It was colorful. And I said, I like it. Next thing you know, somebody's on the bus saying, Gail, Prince wants you now. I said, now? What's going on? He wants you off the bus now. <laughs> well, Rick, I thank you. It was great. See ya. Bye. <laughs> and I found out later that um, Prince was very concerned. And the way that a young guy is concerned, I guess, for the safety and um, virtue of his band member, his only female band member. So I forgave him for rudely interrupting. So is more is more than being controlling. Um, it may have been chivalrous, but you know, people have asked me over the years. You know, with all that, you know, deep throat kissing on the stage and all that jazz, didn't you guys have a relationship? I go, no. <laughs> Did he have feelings for you? Did you have feelings for him? I'm like. Well, if he had feelings for me, he never told me, so I don't think so. But, you know, I guess in that circumstance, he knew more about Rick James and what Rick James did with women than I did. And looking back, I see that um, he was probably right in demanding that I get off the bus. And I didn't argue. I just I got off the bus. The boss is calling. Gotta go. A lot's been made about that tour. Uh, it's sort of like um, the stuff of legend now, because obviously, I mean, Rick, James, and Prince, uh, such big stars. Um, but also that it kind of, um, a feud between the two kind of came out of that, and that um, 
each side would try to kick the other one's butt on stage at every show. Um, mm -hmm. How much of that is fact and fiction, do you think? Uh, it's, it's fact. Uh, Rick was such a party monger. Um, it's amazing he could get through his shows because backstage, uh, his entire entourage would be back with their booze bottles and their joints, hollering at the tops of their lungs with Rick leading the cheer. Shit, goddamn, get off your ass and jam. You know, it just these people would particularly take that party drinking, smoke your joint aspect and take it with them. You know, of course, he had the giant joints that would smoke out the top. I saw that show. <laughs> and it, I have to admit, it was pretty funny. But <clears throat> Prince, um, Prince wasn't there. <laughs> Prince was all about his his music and and what he was trying to convey and do. So yeah, it was more about let's go out there and and just rock it. Let's jam it. Let's do it. So we would. We had our little sessions. We'd go on. Thank God for helping us kick ass. And we, you know, I think we did all right. We got the girls' attention anyway, because the guys were really cute back then. And being the only girl in the band, you know, who knows? <laughs> I, I heard that each band would watch the other from the side of the stage kind of thing. and. Yeah, we would. Some of us would eventually go back into the dressing room and throw food at the wall. <laughs> Do you remember, um, I just had on the show uh, members of the band Clear, and they told me that they were on that tour um, for, I don't know, all of it, some of it. Do you remember that? Were they on any of these shows that you were on? I don't remember clear. I do remember Lenny White. Lenny White was the opening opening act, I think. And then Prince was special guest and then Rick James was the headliner. And perhaps a couple of times clear was there. I I apologize to them for not remembering and all I can say is I really don't know. <laughs> But if they say they were there, they probably were. <laughs> um, so that show, uh, that tour ended up coming to a sort of a premature uh, end, if I recall. Um, what what happened there? Why, why did it cease? I don't know. Don't know? I don't know. I don't remember that part of it. It could be that they, Rick and, and Prince had a falling out, but I don't know. I know that Matt and, and Des and Andre probably know more than I do about that. Uh, well, Matt have had on Des. He's hopefully will be on a future show. He's uh, a busy boy. Yeah, nowadays especially. So this was, of course, the third record, um, pretty controversial at the time. Dirty Mind. Yeah. So what's the um, time frame in terms of when you left, when this came out, 
I left just prior to it coming out and him hiring Lisa. So Lisa's picture is on the back, but in the credits, my name is, is there, for which I was thankful for. And they spelled my name right. <laughs> <laughs> is that unusual? Over the years, apparently so. <laughs> uh, but um, Prince always spelled my name right, so I was thankful for that. Stickler for details. Um, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> I was born that way. <laughs> so Dirty Mind, did you uh, learn songs that were also on that one? Did you perform any of the songs that were on that one? I don't remember. I don't think we did. No, I think it was project to project. So um, when I left, it was um, it was around the time frame that some of the well, yeah, head was coming out. So then that ended up on Dirty Mind. So there were probably a couple of songs. So what what precipitated um, you leaving? Um, I felt that I wasn't growing in ways that I needed to as a musician and a, an artist. And I felt boxed in. And people have intimated that I left because of religious reasons and wanted to, uh, didn't want to sing the song Head. And I all I laugh every time I, I hear that. It's, it's like, okay, excuse me, it's a song about a blowjob. Not everybody wants to sing a song about a blowjob. Okay? So no, I'll admit I didn't really want to sing it. I suggested a word a few word changes in the song, and Prince said, No, it's my damn song. We're gonna sing it my way. I said, Fine, I don't want to sing it. <laughs> But um, I left, it was just time to go. It was time for me to go. And I don't regret it necessarily. I mean, I ended up growing. <laughs> I ended up leaving and doing a lot of things that caused me to grow up and expand my view of, of myself, the world, and what things that were important to me. And I wasn't getting that there because I was, it was his first band. The guys, the guys got along together. They worked together. They did well. Des left um, for some of the same reasons, as it turns out. He wasn't able to expand as a musician uh, the way he wanted to. And of course, he was working with What? Andre also. Yeah, Andre. Yeah. So, and I guess I was the first one to go, but because uh, we all needed to, you know, I guess a couple of years in one place at that age, that's pretty darn good, especially to get somebody like Prince off to where he was going. You know, and, and look at how much he grew as a result of having to broaden his own perspectives and hire new people and the influence that came with those other people. So I can't say it, it was a bad thing. How, 
How did it go down though? Did you tell him face to face? I'm walking. Absolutely. Or? I sat in his home on Orono Bay on Lake Minnetonka and we sat in his living room on the couch and just talked. And the last thing he said to me was, Gail, if you ever need help with anything, you just call me. And I was like, cool, thanks. <laughs> I was never able to get a hold of him. <laughs> it's like, how do you get a hold of a guy who has agents, phones, you know, businesses, places all over the world? It's like, I think I would have loved to have kept in touch. So the answer to the question of did you keep in touch? No, couldn't. I did get to see them when they came to New York because I lived in New York for three years. And that was that was a learning curve in itself. But um, there is where I uh, saw one of the ren renderings of his show and band. And, and one of them was Morris Day and the Time with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and went backstage and met all them and said hi. So. So you had mentioned uh, that Morris Day seemed like an introvert when you met him. How much um, interaction or exposure did you have with him or any of the other um, guys that were sort of not in your band, but sort of associated with, with Prince or the Minneapolis sound and scene? None, really. Um, I, I met Morris at the house on Orono Bay once. And when I met him, he was extremely quiet. Um, he was a drummer, an excellent drummer. Um, he had a fro and freckles. And he was a cute, a cute kid. <laughs> but that I've never met him since, really. I mean, other than that one time backstage in New York, and everybody just kind of nodded and looked at me. And, I said, hi. I've always been this hi kind of person. You know, hello. And people just, I, they didn't, they just, they were done with the show and backstage shaking hands with people. And I walked by and I don't know what had been said, but they just all kind of went. <laughs> like, well, hey, nice to see you too. Glad you're here. Well, say, say what you will lyrically about Head, um, that groove of that song, um, incredible. I mean, the I music know. is great on that. It is. <laughs> it is. I just didn't want to sing those words. I just didn't. So what happened uh, with you personally in the immediate aftermath of leaving? Did you um, have any um, leavers remorse, if you will? and what did you get into? I think there's always uh, leaver's remorse to a, a certain extent. It's like, okay, now what, genius? You know, <laughs> what are you going to do now? So I moved to New York City, and I got a job, and I hung around um, south of Houston area and visited clubs and got to know other musicians down there. And people would say, who, who are you on tour with? Prince, 
Never heard of them. I'd always go, don't worry, you will. <laughs> and they did. <clears throat> they go, oh, that guy. So, yeah, um, I moved to New York and I worked there. Um, played music occasionally. Would still write songs. I would help other people with their music. And I can remember one gal um, who was writing songs and found me and wanted, you know, sent me one of her tapes and wanted me to help her. And then she said, Prince is going to be at Radio City Music Hall. Can you get me in? And I'm going, get you in now. And I thought about it and I said, yeah, maybe. Um, when you get to the front door, ask to talk to this person, this person, this person, and this person, and tell them I sent you, and that I said they would help you get in. And she got in. Nice. So, yeah. You still had some clout. Yeah, I guess so. It was all right. I never made it to that show because I, um, I had to work, but... I would have gone to that one have I had I had the opportunity. I did go to the one that they did in Union at the Union Square Theater, which is where I met all the other guys. Uh, uh, Morris Day and the Time were opening for Prince, so so that was probably like eighty two. Yeah. Vanity Six was on that one too. No. No. No, not yet. Yeah. So how closely did you monitor or keep up with what was happening in the Prince camp as the 80s progressed? I mean, because there were a lot of key events that happened not too long after you left, including, you know, I think in 81, when he got booed off the stage at the Coliseum at the Rolling Stones, and I was at that show. Um, oh, ouch, yeah. You know, um, and, and of course the time, and him developing these protege acts, and then rising very quickly with 1999 and getting on MTV and all that. Were you keeping tabs from a distance? No. No. No, I didn't. Um, I didn't because that was hard to do and still do the things that I had to, to make a living. I was a working stiff for a long time. So, um, no, I mean, I, the most the most tabs I kept would be what people would tell me. Um, I was living in Janesville, Wisconsin, when uh, uh, Purple Rain came out, and it was other people that actually told me about Purple Rain, and so I went to see the movie. So, and I didn't live there very long. I was there for a year, and then. Where did I go after that? I can't remember. I've lived a lot of places across the U.S. too. So, I well, what was your reaction when you saw Purple Rain? I mean, were you floored or surprised that he had risen to that kind of status in such a short time? No, not at all. But uh, I think what surprised me the most about Purple Rain was. Um, the storyline it didn't ex from what i understood it didn't exactly tell the 
the whole truth and nothing but the truth when it came to his mom and other things. And I think the truth finally came out after years and in books of his relation, his familial relationships. So, but Purple Rain was a good movie. I liked it. It was, it was as good as it needed to be. And it was a, a huge phenomenon, no question yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. So when he, you know, was up there winning an Oscar and things like that, you were like, yeah, I saw that coming. <laughs> I was not surprised. I was proud of him. I would have told him so if I could have, but no, I, yeah, I remember uh, finally seeing him do the, what was that, the football? Um, Super Bowl? Super Bowl. Yeah. Awesome show. Yeah. And amazingly well put together and done in pouring rain. That always amazes me. But you do what you do, you know? Well, so, and I mean, the irony is that years later, maybe a, just a little more than a decade later, he had that about face where he, you know, adopted, you know, got into being a Jehovah's Witness and things like that. And he renounced um, using profanity and he wasn't doing songs like Head anymore and things like that. So was that something that kind of surprised you or, you know, that after all that time, he sort of came back around to maybe a little bit how you were thinking? Um, was I surprised? No. I think, I think everybody has that is open to growth in their life has these epiphanies along the way that if you're going to do business in the and in, in the world of ethics with or with ethics um there is a level of intelligence that goes along with um growing out of the hormonally driven parts of your life and it was going to come eventually, and it came for all of the guys. It came for all of them. Um, there's only so much um, soft porn-driven entertainment you can do until you're you're too old to do that. <laughs> You've got more going on upstairs than that. More things that are relevant uh, to life and living life and entertainment value for that matter. I mean, if movies have taught us anything, uh, there are all kinds of aspects to pay attention to in the world that will rivet an audience and help them or teach them or hurt them. And um, it was just a matter of time, I think. He was an innovator in many ways. He went to many extremes he paid the price for some of those extremes. Um, and I think probably one of the saddest things just in, in his death is that that was an extreme, in my opinion, in that um, people that People that have that much clout to do what they need to do and want to do 
oftentimes will choose their own path and think they're doing the right thing. And they limit they limit the information that has the uh, the alternative that can help them. And so he died. And it's just mind-boggling to me that he died of a drug overdose. It's just wrong. Well, it was um, for me. I mean, uh, we didn't really talk about that much, Gail. But I mean, Prince is just an extremely important figure in all aspects of my life. Uh, I met my wife because of him. We had our kid. It's a little bit of a long story I can explain off air, but because of Prince. And uh, when he uh, died, when that news came down, I mean, it was just like losing my brother um, is how it felt, and to my wife too. Um, so how did that strike you when you first heard the news? I'm sure it was kind of surreal. I didn't believe it when I first heard it. My sister, I was at work, and my sister texted me and said, did you hear that Prince died? And I looked at that text coming from my sister. <laughs> no, that can't be. So I texted back and I said, are you sure? She said, it's on the news. So I walked out of my office and I went to a television in one of the other places of my work and looked at it. And I was like, no. And then I think I, I think I found another room and just started to cry. I'm crying now. Yeah. I'm to get a Kleenex. Hold on. I don't like to cry, but. Hey, I, I almost never cry, but I did over that. Um, Sad. I can't believe now it's coming up on three years already. This time's crazy. I know. You know, um, but he seemed immortal. I mean, he seemed like he was just going to be a continuous ongoing thing to me. I think he should have been. But again, it's that whole idea of, of um, I'll do it my way. <laughs> You know, I have enough money to support whatever I want to do. But to um, die alone in an elevator, that sucked. Yeah, I still think there might have been some circumstances around the whole thing that we're not privy to, but I hope yeah. one day the truth will be known, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, did you ever see him at, at all uh, after you left? I mean, was that it? Wow. No, just the once and at uh, the Union Square Theater in New York City. That was it. Huh. Saw him a lot on TV. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was incredible. Did... Um, so as just a part of the general population hearing uh, the songs that everybody heard, was there anything that he put out that you would hear, heard on the radio or whatever, maybe bought it, that was a particular favorite of yours or you thought 
wow, this is great. You know, whether it was a raspberry beret or, a, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I would frequently hear things that I knew were um, Prince's music. I mean, having worked with him from the beginning, I knew what his his rhythmical riffs were. I knew when somebody copied it, and I knew when it was him. And it was really interesting. I, you know, because anytime I'm I'm not one of those people that can read a book and and play music in the background. I can't do that because the music is so distracting because it catches my ear, and I go, I recognize that, and. Um, that's how it was. Every time any kind of Prince music came on, I wouldn't even have to hear the voices in the introduction of the music. I just know it was him. But did I, were there favorites? I can't think of anything that in particular that stood out. I mean, I, well, they're okay. That's not true. There's a couple and I, I can't remember which one he played when he was on, um, I think it was Letterman, but Maceo Parker, Maceo Parker was there with him and the horn section. It was the funkiest thing I'd ever heard. It was so great. Um, it wasn't musicology? It might have been. It might have been. That and When Drugs Cry always caught my attention because it yeah. was... So, Gail, you put out your own record in, in 2003, um, and that was really a very um, folk kind of, you know, um, flavored release. Uh -huh. um, how did how did that come about, and, you know, how do you feel about how it turned out and, and that whole experience? It was hard to do. It was hard to do because... Um, I started it in 2001, um, and the engineer was not honest and uh, pretty much ripped me off, and I had to start over. So I went somewhere else and started over and had to find all new musicians, try and make it right, and it's unless you have your own band, it's really hard to just find musicians who will take the time to learn what you're telling them to learn and go in and record it. I mean, I had one guy, I said, I need you to, I, I'm, I'm needing somebody to play this part on, on the piano. And um, I'm wondering if you'd do it. And he was, and he said, yeah. I'd be happy to do it. So a month and a half prior to his studio date, I gave him music. He shows up at the studio. He never even learned it. I'm like, you're wasting my money and my time. I paid him and I said, thank you very much. Now go away. <laughs> it, was just, it was fraught with stuff like that. That wasn't fun. Um, and it was, so did it turn out the way I, I wanted it to know the mix isn't perfect. Uh, it's just, I'm in Boise. Um, the engineers have improved a little over the years, but wow, 
it's just, I don't live in LA. I don't, um, it's too expensive to live there. That's got me out of there. Yeah. So doing it, doing an album, I'll do another one eventually. I'm, I have new music that I'm ready to do. I just don't, I don't have the right situation to do it unless I take the time to do it myself. So I finally actually downloaded a um, recording program and I'm going to work on stuff myself and, and then I'm going to give people parts and I'm going to say, let's do this. Cause I do have a band now I'm working with a um, bunch of young folks here in Boise. Um, it's an eight-piece band with a horn section, and they call themselves defunct. And they're funk music, and they're not bad. And I play keyboards for them. Uh, I still play all my solo gigs. I'm writing a book about my memories of working with Prince and things that I've done over the years. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm a realtor. <laughs> so if you want to move to Idaho, I'm your girl. <laughs> yeah, how's the market there? Oh, the market is like lickety split, low inventory, and the median price keeps going up. And people uh, have their houses on the market for a day or two, and they sell. Wow. So, but finding people who want to sell is, is the hard part. There's like 5,000 agents in this little town and uh, getting the listings isn't easy because people have to not only list their house to sell, but find a place to live at the same time. And the biggest inventory is in the million dollar homes. Wow, they must be huge for a million dollars in that area. I mean, you can you can literally sell a house in California. This is why Californians move here. Um, you can sell a house in California for $850,000 and move here and buy one at the same size and equal value for $350,000. You just described my, my 2006 move from L.A. to North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I was like a kid in a candy store when I came out. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Um, but I'm also, I also teach piano, voice, and guitar. So I, ha I teach two nights a week. I have, I think, seven students. And I don't, you know, and I gig. So I gig, I do real estate, and I, I work on all the, I'm, I micromanage my time. I've been reinventing my house. Uh, the last couple of years, I have moved walls and been painting and installed in the second bathroom, and I'm going to finish up my, uh, I got to demolish my kitchen next and, finish that up and then um, the fireplace is the last thing to demolish and redo and then I'm pretty much done except for uh, updating the electrical and plumbing which I don't have to do 
think you probably want to do the fireplace in the summertime there. Yeah, I don't use this, the fireplace though. Oh. But even though fireplaces, if you tear them apart in the winter, you're you're actually giving access to all your cold air from other areas that you didn't know you could get cold air in from. So it's a summer activity, most definitely. So when you do your stagings for the uh, homes, do you uh, put your CD on as the background music? <laughs> you know, I haven't thought of that. I suppose I could because it's not a bad CD, but I have, um, I'd like to do more. I, I would be writing more material I think if I had better access to recording and with these kids that I'm working with, and I say kids because I'm 62 now and um, I'm the oldest one in the band. The next oldest is 50 and the others are in their 20s and early 30s. So mm -hmm. it's, um, it's a good mix but um, I have more advantage, I think, in developing new music, some of my tunes that I'm ready to go with, with these guys. So it's a work in progress. Is Joni Mitchell an inspiration for you? Because on that CD, I definitely thought I heard some of that coming through. Joni Mitchell was always one of my favorite artists. Uh, Court and Spark was probably my favorite album of hers. She's, she was an incredible inspiration. Yeah. It's interesting because they say that Prince also was a Joni Mitchell fan. I don't know if that was evident during the time that you spent with him, but it's been spoken. I might have actually told him about my love for Joni Mitchell, which he probably then listened. I don't know. I don't know. He grew up in North Minneapolis. I grew up in Duluth. You know, he grew up in a black neighborhood listening to black inspired music. I grew up in a white neighborhood with access to all the white people until I started to gravitate more towards black musicians and black music. And I, I think one of my favorite groups was uh, George Duke. I loved George Duke. He was Sheila E, of course, was with him and then got with yeah. Prince. Yeah. What took you until 2001? You said you started working on that album. What What took you that long to do your first and, and only record so far? Well, actually, I did put out one that was never released because it was done on 16 track uh, half inch tape and it um it was called standard laments it was a bunch of jazz tunes that i sang and um recorded at a local studio but again it was one of those things that was got really hard to get the whole process completed because technology was changing at the time and to find places to convert half inch tape or put it on the medium I needed. And there were a lot of things I didn't know. So it's sat in a box and I still have that box with the half inch tape. <laughs> um, 
The next one I did with uh, a gal I worked with for seven years doing a folk duo, and we traveled around playing around the Northwest, and um, we went south and east as well uh, in a duo called Black Diamond, and we released one called Black Diamond Change of Direction, and that is completely guitar, acoustic guitar oriented, but we went to LA to re record it down there and had some really good engineers that worked with us there. So, but what year was that? 1989. But then uh, I parted ways with her because she got really busy with her work because she was uh, an engineering manager for Hewlett Packard Corporation and was constantly flying all over the world. And I eventually got bored because we weren't doing anything new anymore. And I said, I gotta, I gotta keep moving. I gotta go. So I left and proceeded to work on my own stuff and work with other people. And I worked on other people's music and recordings over the years, but I am, uh, it, I worked, it took me a few years to put my stuff together and then just go into the studio and try and get it done. And then when I had the first disappointment uh, in trying to record it in 2001, it took me a while to regain my momentum to, and my money because I had to earn the money again. I mean, I was out $11,000 from this guy and not happy about that. And after, I would have to drive 150 miles just to get to his studio in Haley, Idaho, which is right next to Sun Valley. So I have a dog that's growling. Stop it. Thank you. Um, so what is it, what prompted you to sort of be a little more publicly visible uh, the past couple of years? Was it Prince's passing or? There are other things going on. It was after Prince's passing, after 40 years of nobody knowing where I was or what I was doing, uh, that suddenly people were looking for me and they were doing an early years panel at the celebration at Paisley Park. I'd never been to Paisley Park. Uh, I'd seen pictures of it but never been inside. And so uh, they asked me if I would be willing to come uh, be on the early years panels for a couple of days. And I went and it was just fabulous. And suddenly, you know, I walked on stage at, to a packed house with my old bandmates, everyone except Andre. And it was, just like old times, sort of, only we weren't playing music. We were dressed in our Sunday finest, sitting on stage, talking, answering questions to a bunch of questions. Wow. And, and, then, and you've done um, several of those now, or was that the only one? Or? No, that was, that was the one at Paisley Park, and then and that was in April of 2018. In October of 2018, the PRN Alumni Organization, which continues 
uh, Prince's philanthropic work. They raise money specifically to send money to all his philanthropic efforts that most people don't know about. Um, and they had panels where we answered questions. And that was really wonderful. Uh, I was on there with other artists and engineers and um, what do you call them? Um, PR people. Uh, what, what the people that do PR? They call them publicity. Publicity, yeah, public, yeah, publicity people. Um, a gal named Carol, Ingrid Chavez sat next to me. Rhonda Smith was on my panel. Uh, one of his personal um, She was there 24/7. These people worked their butts off for him. I learned I learned more about how Prince's life went after I left in October than at any other time, uh, in even more than I learned at Paisley Park, because these people uh, we had pretty much in-depth discussions about um, how Prince worked how he expected people to work with him. Uh, I guess, Ron, and Rhonda Smith was pretty funny. She, um, I, I think it was her that said she had, um, she had a night off and she was going to dinner with a friend and they didn't have cell phones back then. And Prince tried to get a hold of her and didn't know where she was. And she got home and she had all these messages from Prince. And the next day, Prince got her one of those uh, pagers, which back in the day were those big bricks. <laughs> and she had to carry it around with her from forevermore from that. So <laughs> I was like, geez, I guess there's some control freak aspects of that. But, you know, you worked with Prince. And Rosie would spend hours in her car sitting outside her house with, with Prince, you know, freezing, you know, midnight to three in the morning, sitting in a car, listening to the stuff that he had just done in the studio. So maybe he was asking for advice from, from others eventually. I know, I don't know if he did that in our band, but you had asked me about that earlier. So I don't know. I wonder though, how much of that is being sort of a control freak versus, you know, having music constantly coming into your head and needing to get it out and just feeling compelled to do whatever is necessary to bring that to fruition. You know what I mean? I mean, he was almost, it was like a blessing and a curse, it seems like, with how music flowed through him. I think the, the controlling aspect can be misunderstood in that uh, he responded to that conduit constantly. He did not put a cap on it and control it himself. So in essence, it may have well controlled him and then thus his need to reach out to others at any time of day or night, which he was known for doing. Which when you think about it is pretty cool. 
I hope they got paid well for it. <laughs> <laughs> what What is your take on you know the revolution getting back together and the MPG and them doing these tours now? And um, do you have a, a take on that? I don't, because I don't have anything to do with it. I mean, I've, I've spoken briefly with Morris Hayes on a couple occasions. I wished him Merry Christmas, and he wished me Merry Christmas. And uh, uh, but with regard to um, the revolution, I'm, I'm really not a part of that, and I don't think I ever will be. They, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a person of interest to them. Um, and I don't necessarily have to be, although if they asked, it would be fun. I'd do it in a heartbeat. If, I mean, if for no other reason for the joy of playing music and touring, I love to tour. I mean, if anything, if there's anything I miss about not, not working with Prince, it was uh, not touring. I loved being on the road. It was more fun than, more fun than I can remember. Even as the only uh, female? Yeah, it wasn't easy, but it was sure fun. I mean, it just was great. There were always places to go, always things to see, new people to meet. Um, it was great. I, I love doing that. If you look back on that experience um, before we wrap this up, is there anything that you think uh, really stands out that you sort of learned or took away with you from the experience with Prince and, and being part of the band and the touring and all that? Yeah, never stop. <laughs> never. Um, just because life is busy, life is what we make it. Nothing comes for free, ever. You have to keep working at it. You have to keep putting your stuff out there. You can't be afraid of anything. You have to keep doing. Uh, you have to be honest with yourself and other people. You have to recognize what your responsibility as a performer is to your audience. You have to recognize your own value in what you're presenting. I might not be uh, putting out the best funk music in the world. I mean, Let's face it, the things that come out of me sometimes are really funky. And Prince even said he, she's the funkiest white chick I ever met. <laughs> but um, when it comes right down to it, a lot of what comes out of me isn't that. But there's still value to it. That doesn't mean it lacks value. It's just, it's a different genre. And over the years, I have seen where my music really hits home and who favors it and who doesn't. That's just the way life is. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for um, consistency in what we do on a day-to-day -day basis to maintain our abilities and to serve people with those abilities. There's so little of that happening like in, in the big picture now in America that people have to start doing it from the ground up again before things get really bad from the top down. 
That's all I'm going to say on that. <laughs> right between the lines, people. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, what's uh, you mentioned that you may uh, do a book or a memoir type of thing. Uh, what else is uh, in, in the future working on, a, on some new music? I will continue to write and arrange and produce. I'm I'm still coming up with stuff, and I will periodically visit my uh, old notebooks with stuff I've written and set aside. And oftentimes, I come up with with great ideas to to do. And I've got myself pretty much set up now. My house is almost done, so I'm my life is less chaotic. Uh, I've really been living in a construction zone for um, a year and a half and it's been hard. So I've had had to deal with that and try and just move through my days. But now I can get back to focusing more on um, what I have to do for money and what I want to do for creativity and eventually make that switch again to where I am producing more music and Putting that out there. My plan is to do more online as well, because people want to know about me, and I'm thankful for that. <laughs> is there uh, any way that people can uh, keep in touch with you or reach out to you if they want to? Or? Always, yeah. I'm available on Facebook. People constantly find me on Messenger and ask me questions as you've probably been asked this a thousand times before. I'm so sorry to bother you. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, ask me. It's okay. Took some nerve for you to do that. I get it. I put my pants on one leg at a time like everybody else. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much for spending this time with me and with the Truth and Rhythm audience. Much appreciated. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. I appreciate having the opportunity. It's been very cool. Hope to meet you in person someday. Yeah, likewise. Uh, I don't know if it'll be in Idaho, but maybe somewhere else. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll probably get to North Carolina. Get me a gig. I'll come down. Hey, that sounds good. <laughs> Can you imagine the thrills and anxieties of what it must have felt like being the only woman in Prince's band, just as he was bursting with the drive, energy, and genius that would catapult him to superstardom. It's almost like being there when the seven wonders of the world were created. Wow. Huge thanks to Ms. Gail Chapman for sharing that once-in-a-lifetime experience with Truth and Rhythm. And also, as always, a huge thank you to you, the Truth and Rhythm viewer and supporter of the program. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Funkest of Channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm resides. If you do subscribe, you get the show um, a day before the general public. And also there's Truth and Rhythm Quick Takes, which are excerpts from shows that are like music history lessons. So all kinds of cool stuff going on if you subscribe. Be sure to look out for upcoming episodes of Truth and Rhythm and catch up with previous installments at FunkinStuff.net on YouTube, iTunes, and other leading providers. That's where the audio podcast version is on iTunes. Um, also, I want to hear from you, so write me, email me at scottg.funkinstuff.net. Let me know what you like, what you'd like to see maybe different, who else you want to see on the show, 
give that feedback. It's a give and take. This is your show. And I love getting all of the letters that come in. And um, if you ask anybody, they'll tell you that I respond quickly. So it's a very interactive experience. Keep it coming. And with that, this is Scott, Dr. James Goldfine, as always, saying keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one. 